Something happened this week that happens pretty regularly uh, in the life of Matt Higginbotham. See, uh, my wife would tell you that I'm not a good listener. Uh, this, is, this is kind of like if there's an argument that we're going to have, uh, it's going to surround the fact that I'm not a good, active listener. And by active listener, I mean I don't nod at the right time and make eye contact appropriately as conversations are going on. And this week, something was going on, and I, was, I had my phone in my hand, and I don't know what I was doing, you know, killing time or something. And I had, I'm always surrounded by 18 children, and so I had my, my flock of 128 kids around me, and my wife was there as well, and my wife is talking. And I perceive that my wife is talking, right? But there is literally a thousand other people in the room with me, or at least six um, other people in the room with me. And so I assume that she's speaking to one of the children, right? And so she's just kind of talking, and she's happily going about her business, talking. And then she realizes that, that as she was trying to communicate with me, that I'm not being a very good listener, because my head is down, and I'm you know, doing this right here, right? scrolling around on the phone, looking at whatever I'm looking at at that time. Uh, and she just stops. And if you've ever been there before, you know what I mean, right? Like, you, you've got this kind of noise that you hear, right? And then the noise stops. And you recognize, that's not a good pause. Right? That pause right there, that's intended for, 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 for you, right? And in that moment, like, you, you, you look up, and then you see the face that, that really communicates fully, like, yep, 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 that was all addressed at you. There's literally... Five other kids in the room with me, right, who I thought she was speaking to. And, and so she's, she's like, you're not listening. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that you were speaking to me. And then, and, you know, we get in a little bit, you know, just a fun little uh, agreeable moment there, you know. And uh, at the end of it, you know, everything's good. But there's something that happens to us, right? We, we, someone is speaking to us, and we don't recognize that we're the person who's being spoken to. And when that happens, it's frustrating for the one who's communicating. It's frustrating for the one who's trying to communicate, failing to communicate, but trying to communicate because they're not being received like they need to be received. And they say, you know, I was talking to you, right? Or you were the person I was talking to today, guys. We're, I'm going to have a sermon today, um, and it's going to be really tempting for you to think that it's not you. I mean, really tempting. Like, you're going to look at the person next to you and be like, yeah, it's for them. Right? Or you're going to think about all the people who aren't here right now because it's daylight savings time and they're sleeping. Right? And you're like, yeah, that's for those people, right? The people who still use a real alarm clock and don't have their phones to wake them up, right? So you, you, have all these, you have all these other people, but I want you to know very specifically, I'm talking to you. Absolutely, positively to you. And the reason I'm talking to you is because a lot of y'all have heard exactly what I'm about to say. You have read the passage that I'm about to preach from or other passages that say the same thing. And for some reason, you have decided it doesn't communicate to you. You have decided that this part of Scripture doesn't apply to you. It applies to someone else. And when you do that, when you take this part of Scripture in particular and you apply it to someone else, you are missing the point. Right, just like I missed my wife's point, and I, I couldn't tell you today exactly what she was talking about then. She doesn't repeat herself after I've shown myself to be a bad listener. Right, I have to go back and play the tape back that was kind of on passive record um, to find out what was said. Right, but I want you to know the message today is for you. Listen, hear, take to heart. Don't think about the person next to you. Don't think about your kids, or your grandkids, or the people who aren't here with you that need this. It's literally for you, and you have probably heard it. 
and you've probably said it doesn't apply to you. What we're going to talk about today is ministry. Now, ministry is this, this weird concept because we have professional ministers. I'm one of those guys, right? Like, I'm a professional minister. I am paid to do ministry. It's my job. It's my vocation. It is, it is what I do. But the truth is, you, if you know Jesus Christ, and I'm assuming most of you do, but if you don't, we have another message for you. But if you know Jesus Christ, you are a minister today. And I don't mean that in like some sort of like lesser sense, like, oh, like Matt's a real minister, and then Caleb's underneath me because he's just a youth minister, right? So like he's here below me, right? And then you people are down here, right? Like the regular people are down here. And, and when we're going to like neuter the word minister of its meaning, no, you are called to a ministry. You have work to do for Jesus Christ. And a lot of y'all, a lot of people in the church have decided that they are not a minister. And they look at themselves as something else, as something less than, as if they don't have the same call on their life. And I want to tell you, you do. So Jesus is doing ministry. That's what he's been doing for the entire book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 6 today, if you have your Bible. Open up to Mark chapter 6. And what Jesus has been going through is, is different teachings and miracles, and he's kind of bouncing from place to place, doing the work of a New Testament evangelist, telling people to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what Jesus' message is. And he's got these 12 guys who follow him everywhere he goes. And these 12 guys are messed up, and they don't have everything figured out, but they're his closest disciples, uh, and they follow him everywhere he goes. And Jesus comes in to his hometown. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but was raised in a town called Nazareth. And so Jesus is in Nazareth, and we pick up Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, He, that's Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. This period of ministry for Jesus, he returns back home. And as he goes back home, uh, he has this experience. And this is a kind of a weird experience for Jesus because he's going there to, to continue his healing ministry and to continue his teaching ministry that he's had everywhere across Galilee. And he goes back to the people who are nearest to him and dearest to him, the people who have known him forever, right? And, and he goes and he begins to teach, and they're astonished at his teaching. Because when Jesus teaches, it's not like everyone else, right? He teaches with authority, as we've seen in other passages. And so he's teaching, and he's reading from the scrolls in the synagogue, and he's teaching like he is someone who has great authority. And the people around him who knew him growing up, who know his family, start to get upset. They get upset because Jesus is all of a sudden thinks he's some big hotshot, right? Like, who do you think you are, right? Like, we know who you are, right? We, we did this and that with you, and we saw you when you were a kid, and we know your brothers and your sisters. We know who you are. But Jesus was doing this, this teaching, and they, they got angry with him. 
Instead of receiving the teaching with joy, which was done everywhere else. Like the only people who were against Jesus anywhere he went were the religious elite. But everywhere he went, people received with joy the teaching that Jesus had and the miracles that Jesus would perform. But in Nazareth, no one wanted any of it. They rejected him. This is the, 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 the first rejection of Jesus Christ. We'll have a second rejection of Jesus Christ right before his crucifixion. But this, these people gathered around him and they said, we don't like what you're doing. We know who you are. We don't like what you're trying to act like you are. We're done with you. And, and the Bible says, you know, one of, one of the weird verses there in verse 5, it says, you know, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few people and healed them, right? And the idea is like Jesus is this miracle worker, but in Nazareth, he could not do miracles. This isn't a literal, he could not do miracles, right? Jesus isn't limited by faith on whether or not he's able to achieve his purposes, right? If Jesus willed to do something, he could make that happen. Your faith, this is important for you to know because it goes in the face of what every TV preacher wants to tell you. Your faith is not, uh, Jesus' healing is not contingent on your faith, right? It's on, on Jesus' will to do that, right? And a lot of people, they feel like the reason they're going through tough times, the reason they're suffering, the reason uh, they've lost loved ones is because, you know, they lacked faith. Someone told them that once upon a time. You lacked faith, that's why you have these things. The truth is, right, God has a purpose and a plan in the world around us. But in Nazareth, what, what Jesus did was he would do miracles. Everywhere he went, he would do miracles for people who wanted them. Right? If people wanted to receive what Jesus Christ had to offer, they would go to him and they would say, please heal me. Right? There was a lady right before this right, who was bleeding for 12 years. She went up to Jesus. She touched him, wishing to be clean. There was another little girl who was dying and ultimately died. And her father came and said, please make my daughter well. Like where people want to, it, to, to receive a blessing from God, they receive that blessing from God. This is the same way we receive salvation. Right? God has given salvation to the entire world. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is capable to cover the sins of the world. Right? It's efficient to cover the sins of the world, but only some people have received that forgiveness. It's not because Jesus doesn't want to forgive them. It's not because Jesus couldn't forgive them. It's because they didn't reach out in faith to receive it. Right? And, so, and, so, and this is what's going on in Nazareth. His power isn't limited, but he doesn't force himself upon people. And he leaves Nazareth rejected in his ministry. And immediately following this rejection, we get this next story about the continuation of his ministry. And it goes like this, verse 7. He called to the twelve, the disciples, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place won't receive you, and they won't listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. This is the ministry of the disciples. This is where I want us to center today. So Jesus experiences rejection in Nazareth, and immediately following the rejection in Nazareth, he, he mobilizes his disciples to go and do work. He takes his 12 disciples, he splits them up into six pairs, and he says, you guys go and do work. And we read this passage, and we say, well, of course, you got like Peter and James and John. Like these guys are rock stars, 
Right? I mean, think about it. Like, everything we know about him, we're like, man, Peter was this, this early church leader, and John was the disciple who Jesus loved. And, like, these people were, were great. They had given up everything they had to follow through Jesus. Obviously, they're called to do this ministry. But if you've been reading the book of Mark carefully, if you look at how the disciples act, they are constantly wrong. I mean, they're wrong every time you can be wrong, they're wrong. Right? They don't understand who Jesus is. They don't understand what he's doing. Uh, they, they, they get on to Jesus about things that Jesus is doing. Right? Jesus is going, uh, going out to pray, and they're like, hey, we need you over here. Right? Like, like they, they don't understand anything. They, they literally don't understand anything about what God is trying to accomplish. They, they won't get it until after the resurrection. Or they won't fully get it, and even then, I don't think they fully get it, right? But they won't get even a, a good picture of it till after the resurrection. But even with their limited knowledge and their massive amount of ignorance and their stupid mistakes that they made, Jesus said, I'm sending you out. And then we sit here today and we have soaked in Bible lesson after Bible lesson and Sunday school class after Sunday school class and sermon after sermon. And we have the entire revealed word of God and we have read through it and over it and around it. And we say, I'm still not ready to serve. Right? Jesus has sent his disciples out with a very simple message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was it. That's all they knew. Right? That's a very short sermon. Some of you would appreciate that, right? It's a very short message that they have to give. They don't know anything else. They can't speculate about what's going to happen. They don't understand the death of Christ that's uh, going to happen in just a matter of like 18 months. They don't understand the resurrection of Christ that's going to conquer death. They don't know that Christ is actually the Messiah who's coming to take away the sins of the world. They don't really know any of that. But God says, go and share what you know. And then we sit in church and we say, well, I just don't know enough yet. Right? If, uh, preacher, if we can just get through the book of Mark, and, and God willing, we will. Right? But preacher, if we can get through the book of Mark, and I see the whole life of Jesus, and we break it down, and I'm here you know, 85% of the time, then, then I'll be ready, I think, to maybe take on some ministry. But that's not what God has called you to do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a minister the day you're saved. And the message that you have to share is the same message that brought you to salvation, right? You may not know anything else, but you know that you're a sinner. You know that Christ died for you because he loves you and he wanted to take care of your sin problem so you wouldn't be separated from God. And because he loves you and he died for you, he, he took your sin on himself, paying the penalty for your sin. And then he rose again from the dead, showing he has victory. If that's all you know, and you should know that if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, you should know that. That should be deep, deep, deep inside of you. But if that's all you know, that is all you're supposed to be telling people. Right? When you have spiritual conversations, when you begin to open the door to have uh, conversations with people about matters of faith, which should happen. Right? It should happen regularly. Some of us were like, well, I never had those conversations. I never have an opportunity to share the gospel or to talk about Jesus Christ or the love of God on my life. I never have those opportunities. Well, you know what? Like, I love Houston sports. I do. I like the Rockets. I like the Astros. I even like the Texans to some degree, right? Uh, but, but, like, I love Houston sports. I can talk about Astros spring training baseball. I can talk about the Rockets seven-game winning streak going on right now. I can talk about the Texans 
always losing, right? I can talk about all of those things. And you know what's weird? I always have an opportunity to talk about those things. Isn't that weird? That God somehow magically opens a door for me to talk about things that are important to me? And you know why that is? Because it's important to me and I just want to talk about it. Right? That's why people who, like, if you show any interest in sports, man, I'm there. I'll talk with you. Let's talk. Right? If you want to talk about my kids, like, I like my kids. I, lo- I love my kids. I like them, too, most of the time. Right? <laughs> right? But I'll talk about my kids. I'll talk about what's going on. You want to talk about uh, my wife? Man, I'll tell you how wonderful she is, how blessed I am, how, how tremendous a woman she is for me. Like, I, I love talking about these things. And then we get to things of faith. And you have these things that you love talking about. Maybe it's your pets. Like, I... I I won't talk about my pets very much, but like, maybe it's your pets, maybe it's your yard, maybe it's your your hobby. I don't know what it is, but you've got things that you always are able to find a reason to talk about. When it comes down to things of faith, sometimes we're like, well, I I just never have an opportunity. That may be, that may be because those other things are way more important to you than your faith. Right? And that's, that, that, that should scare us a little bit. That should put a little bit of a sting in us, right? Like, I have a lot more opportunities to talk about the weather which I don't even really care about. It was beautiful yesterday, but like it doesn't, like I'm not a weather person. I have a lot more opportunity to talk about the weather than I do about things of faith. Why is that? Why is the weather easier for me to talk about than, than, than simple things of faith? Just opening the door and having a spiritual conversation. Why is that easier? Well, it's easier because for some reason I care more about that than I do about this. Church, that shouldn't be the case. We have opportunities to have these conversations. Jesus sends his disciples out. He says, you will be my witnesses today. And he sends them out. You guys here today, you, yes, you, the person I'm talking to right now, you are God's minister in this world. No one else has your ministry. No one else. You can bring them to church and say, we're going to get them in front of the preacher, and then uh, the preacher's going to share the gospel, and they're going to trust Christ, and that'll be my ministry. But I don't know your people. I don't have the relationship with your people that you have with your people. You are the minister. Go and do ministry. And it's not hard. Right? It's not about having every answer to every question that anyone could ever ask. It's about being faithful to what you know. And then when you have those conversations, Jesus goes to his disciples. He says, you're going to go ill-prepared for this. You don't know anything, and I don't want you to take anything with you. Right? Why, why doesn't he want his disciples to take any money or any like, extra clothes or anything like that? Why? Because he wants them to be solely dependent on God for provision says, you will be taken care of as you go because God will take care of you. Some of us, we, we want to be fully dependent on ourselves. And then we wonder why God isn't using us to do any ministry work. Right? Why, why is it that I don't ever have uh, fruitful conversations with my family or my friends? Why is it that I don't ever, ever have fruitful conversations with my coworkers? Some of it's because you're not dependent on God at all. Like your life is prayerless. You're devoid of any, like, appetite for, for consuming God's Word. And then, and then you think that somehow God's going to use you for that. That's not the way it works, right? We, we, we have a passion that comes out of us. The disciples were passionate about Jesus. They didn't understand Jesus. They were passionate, though. They followed Him everywhere He went. We've got to be passionate about Jesus Christ. And then when we go, we depend on Jesus Christ. And I don't know what your ministry looks like. It's probably where you work if you're employed right now. If you're working right now and you're spending 40 hours a week around people, those are the people that you're called to minister to. You're like, I only got one other person I work with. Well, start there, <laughs> right? Start there, right? Your family, if you're a parent like I am, your children, that's your ministry, 
right? You're supposed to be leading them uh, to, to, to know and love Jesus Christ. If your kids are grown, your ministry isn't done. Right? You're not done just because you've, you've successfully graduated your children out of the house. Good job, by the way, right? But you're not done just because they've left. There's another generation behind that, your neighbors, the people got to spend around you. But when you go and have these conversations, there's two responses that you can have. This makes sense, right? One is a positive response, and one is a negative response. And if you get a positive response, and what a positive response for spiritual conversations is, when you start talking about things of eternal significance, when you start talking about the Bible, when you start talking about Jesus, when you start talking about what God has done in your life, and the person you're talking to doesn't say, shut up, I don't ever want to talk to you again, that's a positive response. Any other response than basically that is a positive response, right? right? If they're willing to have a conversation and a back and forth with you, if they're willing to debate and still have some openness about themselves, it's a positive response. And what Jesus says is when you open those doors and you have positive responses to the disciples, in this case, when they go to a town and they have a positive response, he says, stay there. Or if you have someone who's responding positively to spiritual conversations, don't stop that conversation. Just keep having it. You may have somewhere else to go, but when you see that person again, you pick that conversation back up. You don't, you don't leave it behind and say, well, in eight months I might pick that thread back up. No, you pick it back up immediately. Every time you're around them, you just continue to talk about these things because they're interested and you're interested and God works in the midst of that. Right? Not everyone is ready right this second to receive uh, the, the, the gospel. The Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of people, and sometimes that takes multiple conversations over multiple days or months or years. But if they're open, you stay in that conversation. Don't give it up. Don't stop it. Talk to your coworker. Talk to him for 20 minutes. Next day, pick it back up. Hey, man, I was reading this today. Boom, pick it back up. 20 more minutes. Go to the next day. 20 more minutes. Somewhere along the way, if they're open to it, the Holy Spirit can pour their hearts open and and let them receive the gospel. You have that ability to do that. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you may, may never have actually done that, where you've walked with someone from a kind of a curiosity about faith to an acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that is a beautiful thing. It's the sort of thing that will, will, will motivate you to go out and do it again. Right? But when there's an open door, you stay going through that door. Teachers, if you've got a student who's open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? like, like find a way to do that. Right? Like I know like, there's laws and rules and whatever. Like I'm not going to try to get you fired today. Maybe. But, but find, find those opportunities. Right? There's opportunities when you have open doors to go and go through them. Use them daily as long as you can and then if you have a closed door the closed door is someone who is just wanting to fight with you right like and and these people are all over the place like you begin to talk to them about spiritual things and instead of being open to kind of hear what you have to say everything is an attack back against it right there's no openness it's just they, they want to play offense they don't want to have a discussion they want to have a monologue against the gospel or maybe they just throw up their hands and say i don't want to hear any of this when you have those people, and, and I've had those people. I remember I had a student in my first youth ministry, um, and, and, and I love this kid. His name was Kenneth, and uh, Kenneth was a, was, was, was a good kid. Uh, I'd done ministry with him and his brother for a year, and we were at church camp, and I was having these conversations with him, and he seemed open, and he seemed open, and then all of a sudden something happened, and boom, he was closed. He didn't want to have anything else. He didn't want to have any more of these conversations broke my heart because he was he was walking down the path heading towards faith and then something happened 
I mean, so it, was, it was like immediately, like I saw it in his face, like boom, he was done. Right? He didn't want anything. And so he shut down, he shut off, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And in that moment, when you reach someone who, who is shut off, what do we do? A lot of us, what we do is we say, man, I love this person, I'm going to beat them over the head with the Bible until they believe. I'm going to study more, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray more, and I'm just going to continue attacking this person, because it's like a project, right? Like, if I can crack this nut, then, then I'll have everything figured out. But that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Jesus tells his disciples, if you go into town and you walk around the town and there's no one who wants to receive the gospel, there's no one who wants to hear your message of repentance, what do you do? You walk out to the edge of town, you take your shoes off, you bang them together a few times so you don't even take the dust with you, and, and you leave that place. Guys, some of us need to be willing to leave that place. And that doesn't mean that you're handing your best friend over to perdition. Right, that you're, you're, they're, they're lost forever and they're never going to receive salvation, but it means at this moment in time, it is not fruitful for you to be using your limited number of hours on that person. Right? And God will work in their heart. Right? That's God's business, but your job is to be faithful with the hours that you have. We aren't guaranteed many hours. I mean, we got robbed of an hour last night. Right? I mean, what, what is this world coming to? We're not guaranteed any amount of hours. And God says, use the time that you're in the ministry fruitfully. Don't waste it. Some of us, uh, myself included, like I have wasted, uh, I can't even calculate the number of hours I've wasted with some people that are just closed off to the gospel. And so what is our response to those people? Our response is, first of all, we, we, we stop. Right? We stop fighting that battle we're wasting our time. Secondly, we pray. We turn them over to God in prayer. And we say, God, I'm not making any impact in this person. I see it. They're shut down. They're closed off. Send another Lord. And then you go on. Because there are people who need what you have. You have friends who need what you have. You have neighbors who need what you have. And if all of your attention and your affection and your passion is poured into a project that will never be accomplished or may never be accomplished, and is showing no signs of productivity, you need to move on. That's tough. It's tough, like if it's a child, sibling, right? It's tough if it's your best friend. We pray for those people. And we say, Lord, send another. And you can keep praying for that person. You can pray for them every day in your prayer life. I encourage you to do that. But recognize it may not be your place to be the person who, who introduces them to Jesus Christ. And some people, just, just tragically, some people are never, ever going to respond to the gospel. Pride, selfishness, whatever it is, drives them away from receiving the, the grace of God. But you're a minister today. You have work to do. And, and your ministry is, well, it looks different than mine. It only looks different because we're in different circles. The exact same things that I am called to do as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is what you are called to do. You need to be having spiritual conversations with people. And if you're not having spiritual conversations with people, today you need to begin to analyze why that might be. Are you not passionate about the things of God? Have you lost you know, your, your first love, like it says to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, right? Have you, have you fallen out of love 
with the one who saved you. And that happens. Some of us have been saved for a long, long, long time. Some of you all have been Christians much longer than I've been alive. And it can happen, right? Things can, you, you can grow cold to the fire that once was in your heart. So what do we do? We go back, just like it says in the book of, book of Revelation, you go back to doing the things that you used to do. Rekindle your love for God. And for me, when this happens, and it does, right? It happens for me, professional Christian, Matt Higginbotham, right? What do I have to do? Right? I have to remind myself who I was before Christ, who Christ thought I was, like who, who, how God valued me to come and to die on the cross for me. And when I recognize what I was and what Christ did for me, he died an agonizing death so that I could receive eternal life. He died an agonizing death so I wouldn't be held responsible for all of the stupid decisions that I've made. Right? When I recognize that great gap between these two things, my only response is to love him and want to serve him. And some of us, we, we, we're not real good at that retrospective look. We're not good at looking back and thinking about who we were, who Christ is, what Christ did for us. But I pray that you would do that today because you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you will never be an effective minister. You'll never accomplish what God has called you to accomplish unless you love Christ and those conversations happen. Guys, I want you to measure where Christ is at. Find where God is working. Jump in where he's working and continue serving there. And where Christ isn't working, seek the next opportunity and serve faithfully there. You're a minister. Act like it. Let's pray.